you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was conscripted this weekend to camp out with the young people on Friday. As all of you know, sleeping in a tent is just a recipe for a great night's sleep. Although the fresh air is, of course, enjoyable. Brother Tyler, I could use a little bit more monitor microphone if you can. But we had a great time, and it was good to see a... Uh, a new, or I should say, newer group of uh, youth forming in the church. And uh, also good to see that they seem to get along. That's, that's good. I remember good old days in the youth where all kinds of stuff would happen. Fun and exciting and absolutely inappropriate. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and there may have been once or twice that I was the problem, but anyhow... I want to take us to uh, three passages of Scripture today and not talk anymore about that. Uh, from the book of John and then two passages in the book of Matthew. John chapter 10, reading here verses 7, 8, and 9. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now that, let me interrupt myself before we go on. The word verily, that is not a word that we use in the modern language at all, is it? But we, we take it to mean he's really, really serious. Right? There are times where he'll just sit, say something. There's times he says, I'll say, I say unto you. And then there's times he says, verily, verily, I say. And in other words, this is really important. I'm qualifying the statement. Listen, 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 listen. I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ha have ever come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. From the book of Matthew chapter 7. Reading verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. And finally from Matthew chapter 27, reading here verses 50 and 51. Matthew 27, 50 and 51. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Today I'd like to speak from this subject, adore wide enough. 
a door wide enough. Would you bow your heads and let's ask the Lord's blessing one more time for this, this season, this time together. Jesus has always a stand in need of you, in need of your anointing, in need of your power. Help me, God, to speak words from heaven, words of encouragement and not simply filled with men's wisdom. Do a work here, I pray. Let this fall on good ground and let it grow and bear fruit. In Jesus' holy and wonderful name, amen, amen. Everyone said amen. In modern Christianity, there is a, a habit a lot of times to focus solely on the New Testament. I'm not saying that you are guilty of it or this church is guilty of it necessarily, but there is uh, across denominations this, um, this habit that either teachers, speakers, followers, whatever the case might be, we have a, a tendency to focus in on a few books of the Bible, a few stories of the Bible, primarily in the New Testament and primarily the Gospels, and to leave out a whole lot of Scripture. Now, I don't want to uh, minimize the importance of the Gospels. This is the biography, the biographies of the life of Jesus Christ. These are critically important you might even call them uh, the climax or just prior to the climax of the whole story of the Bible. And we can't leave them behind whatsoever. But I do think it's important in understanding all uh, uh, what Jesus did. In understanding it, you, you need to have some understanding of what came before it. Amen? You need to have some understanding of the Old Testament. You need to have some understanding uh, of, of what came before him because... Uh, he was not, not there to do away with what had come before him. He said he has come not to, to undo the law, but to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophets, to bring everything full circle, to do what God has been telling you he's going to do for a very, very long time. Therein, we find and understand that those in the Old Testament had a very different way to worship the Lord. Today we meet once a week, although we could meet many times a week if we'd like, and we uh, share songs and we share prayers and we share testimonies uh, and we shake each other's hands and we hear hopefully something good from whoever's speaking. And we go on our merry way and, and there's a lot of good in that. There's a lot of good in the singing of songs and the worship and the raising of hands. Amen. There's a lot of good in that and I wouldn't do away with it. But in the Old Testament, this is not how a man or a woman would approach God. In fact, as God is showing to man a way to approach him, it becomes more and more clear that none of us would be worthy to approach him. None of us ought to get near him. For as when Lucifer rebelled in heaven, Jesus said, I saw him fall as lightning. Sin then separates us from God. Sin separates us from his presence. Sin separates us from uh, uh, being able to draw near to him. And we find this out again in the Garden of Eden, 
when Adam and Eve would have made themselves wise, at least in their own eyes, and done something in their own eyes that would have been good from them, for them, it ended a communication with God, that daily walk in the cool of the day when God and Adam would speak and commune and have fellowship. To remedy this separation, this separation that was for all mankind, not only Adam and Eve, for all descendants of mankind then were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, as the scripture says. To remedy this, God begins a sacrificial system. He instructs through Moses, the children of Israel, a way to approach him. Now, I want to interrupt myself for just a second because I think it's probably noteworthy that there are Sundays, and I could probably say just some days, where we're a little bit apathetic in even approaching the Lord at all. Now, what, what are you trying to say, Dan? What I'm trying to say is sometimes you don't want to come to church. And no one said amen. That's a good spot to say amen. There are sometimes you don't want to come to church. There are sometimes I don't want to come to church. There are sometimes that we do come to church because we know we ought to come to church. But even when we're here, we really don't think about anything other than leaving. Oh, you can say amen to that. Come on now. Don't fall asleep on me. There's a malaise upon you, and I've got to bring you out of it. There are times that uh, all we can think about is a, a Sunday afternoon nap. Amen. There's sometimes all we can think about is how hungry we are because we got up late, didn't have time for breakfast, and oh boy, won't he hasten to the end so we can get out of here. Because right now, all I've got on the mind is the breaking of the bread and the fellowship, not the word. Amen? Amen. And in that, we can realize that we take it for granted that we have opportunity to approach the Lord anytime we want. But it was not always so. In the Old Testament, it became very obvious that man did not approach God. God approached men. God came to Noah, and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God came to Abraham and gave him a command and gave him an order and gave him a calling to do something that was different than everyone else in the world was doing. God came to Moses on the side of a mountain through a burning bush. But what God was trying to do was show and instruct a specific way for men to come to him, to reestablish what was once there in the garden, to be able to commune with the Lord. But the problem was sin that separated man from God. And in that Old Testament worship, God instituted what is called the Day of Atonement. There were, of course, other sacrifices that happened on a regular basis for the Israelites. They would bring a bullock. They would bring a ram. They would bring turtle doves. They would bring a, a, an array of animals to be sacrificed to the Lord to deal either with sin or to deal uh, with maybe uh, doing wrong to a, a brother or sister, to, to deal with all manner of things, or really just even to say, here is a free will offering, Lord. I offer Offer it to you, take it and enjoy it. Let it be a sweet-smelling savor 
to you. But one time a year, a sacrifice was different. The day of atonement when a lamb would be slaughtered and the blood of that lamb would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a point where angels' wings carved from gold, from wood, would meet upon a golden box, acacia wood, and overlaid with gold. Not that large of a box, but it was an important box. This was the Ark of the Covenant, the covenant made with the people, the covenant made with Moses, the covenant made with Abraham. This piece of furniture, really, a box that just held those tablets, those Ten Commandments given to Moses. But that mercy seat was a very, very important thing. And this Day of Atonement was a very, very important thing. You see, in the tabernacle and then, of course, later in the temple, there was the outer court and there was the inner court and there was the holy place where there was the table of showbread and there was the candlestick and there was incense, a table of incense that went up continually to the Lord. But beyond that was called the most holy place. And of course, being no electricity, there was no lights and there were no candlesticks either in this place. It was a dark place. No one went into the most holy place or the holiest of holies. Therein was this, this golden box. On top of it were those two angels and their wings meeting in the middle. And in the middle there was the mercy seat, what, was, what is called the mercy seat. Above the mercy seat while they were journeying through the wilderness, rested what we call the Shekinah cloud. That's just the, the presence of the Lord. They were led by a cloud, amen. They were led by a pillar of fire. And we called it, or they called it, uh, we call it now in the, the modern language, Shekinah. This, this dwelling, this uh, settling of God's presence. And because man could not just willy-nilly and, and, and and loosely approach God, he had to ceremonially wash and he had to ceremonially prepare himself. And only one day a year, all the sins of the people were, were rolled into that sacrificial lamb. And that high priest, that not any priest, but just one particular priest, would be able to go in and to sprinkle blood on that mercy seat in a way in a way to approach God, to assuage his anger, to assuage his, his judgment on sin. Because God judges sin, that's what he does. See, it was very particular, it was very ordered, it was very ceremonial, it was very ritualistic. And not anybody could approach God, only the high priest and only once a year and only in this one way. And if that priest had failed in any of the functions, any of the preparatory work, the Bible says that he would fall over dead. They actually tied a string to his ankle so that if he were to fall over dead, they could drag him out of this room. There was one thing that separated the holy place where the other priests could go and the most holy place. It was a veil. Now, we cannot imagine this veil as perhaps any typical veil, for it was made out of uh, the hides of animals, and it was not, uh, 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 not there to be ornate, 
really in nature, but it was there to separate and to distinguish that this room is different. This place is different. It was not sheer. It was thick. It was not one hide. It was layers of hide. The historian Josephus says that it was as thick as the palm of a man, so about three to four inches thick. And to hang it or to wash it would require 300 priests. So getting past this veil was, was a big deal. And only, only one priest a year could do it. In fact, just thinking about a veil that thick, what it would take to hang it, how difficult it would be to move it, some have wondered how in the world did they even open the veil or, or move the veil to get past it to walk in. One preacher tells me he thinks that uh, he would grab the, the, in one hand the rod that had the blood and in the other hand have the golden candlesticks and it actually, he believed, was the presence of God that, that translocated him from one side of the veil to the other. I can't speak to that, but the point is, it was a narrow door. It was difficult to get into. Have you ever dealt with a very narrow door? If you've ever moved, you, I think, can understand what I'm talking about. Because you have in one place your refrigerator, your couch, your table, all manner of accoutrements that you need to go from here to there. And it's tough enough to get all of that stuff that's there loaded up. But this is what you know is that you got the stuff in so you can get it out. The door is already wide enough, but have you ever moved a couch from one place to another only to find out that the door is simply not wide enough? I mean, it's a great work of science sometimes just trying to figure out how to get a piece of furniture through a doorway. I see some of you starting to smile because you're reminiscing about stories where you threw your back out trying to move an irritating piece of furniture through a doorway that simply wasn't made for whatever it is you were trying to move. Probably just a little bit more than a year ago, I went to a, uh, a model home for a particular builder. I was in the area, I had the time. I'm like, you know, this looks like a nice home. I wanna go in and see this. And this house uh, had a couple things I liked. One was nine foot ceilings, of course, on the first floor. I loved to have higher ceilings. And the other thing, which I had never seen before, every door in the house was extra large. I didn't even know you could get this, right? I mean, it makes sense, but, but I'm not talking about like, you know, cheaper six panel doors from Home Depot. I mean, these were, Big, tall, wide, nice doors. And I, and I was like, yeah. I mean, if I ever build a home, I don't want to limit myself to a 32-inch door. I mean, I want to, you know, I want this thing to swing wide. No fat jokes now. I just, <laughs> it was obviously a very nice thing to have. And I'm like, man, this is so pretty. Look at this, how easy it would be to move a bed, a mattress, in and out of this door. Because when you have something 
that of course is too wide, too large to get through the door, you've got to figure out, well, do I take the door apart? Do I take it off its end? Do I take the jams off? Do I, or do I get rid of the piece of furniture because I've already taken its legs off? What do I do to get through this door? Some of you may know of the, the crisis going on on the west coast of the country. I've heard several different numbers, so any I would quote you probably wouldn't be accurate as of this very moment, but I heard at first 56, and then I heard 65, and then I've heard 73, and as many as 90 container ships off the coast of California are anchored and waiting to be unloaded, primarily in the port of L.A., but in, in other areas as well, because of the labor shortage the area to get through is backlogged. And they can't get simply unloaded. The article I read probably five days ago or more now said that it's taking, going to take on average for each ship eight and a half days just sitting out there in the ocean waiting to be unloaded. It's truly an amazing thing. I've also heard that it used to be a big deal if one ship was waiting. If that's true, if, if it was a big deal that one ship would be waiting, scale that up. If there's 90 ships, it's such a sight they can even, you can even appreciate it with aerial views, all these hashes in the middle of the water lined up and waiting their turn to be unloaded because there's this much to come in, but the window to get in is, is only a big. I'm sharing all of this for this simple message today. That even though Christ said, narrow, narrow is the way and straight is the gate, there is room enough for you at the cross. The path that Jesus truly is, for he said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. He is a door that is wide enough for all the baggage that you have in life. All the sin that we carry, as Isaiah wrote, as if it were with a cart rope. All the burdens that we bear, all the issues of life. He is wide enough to take on all of those burdens, for they are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. All those issues, all those burdens, all those iniquities, all of the things of life simply melt away in His presence. The significance of the veil, why talk about this huge veil that was three to four inches thick, so heavy and so strong that some historians say not a team of horses could have pulled it in two. You'll remember on Calvary right as Jesus was dying the Bible says that that veil was rent in twain rent from top to bottom in two and then the earthquake came some have wondered oh was it the earthquake that tore this thing in two no it was the divine and purposeful plan of God that once the Savior died 
No more barriers. No more high priest. For he is the high priest. It's you that gets to enter in. It's you that gets to enter in. Come on in to the presence of the Lord. Come on in to the holiest of holies. The door is wide enough. All the cares of life, oh, they cannot amount to the mercy that is provided through one drop of Jesus' blood. Jesus is wide enough door for you to come in and out and find pasture. Oh, it was just one Jesus that spoke to those demons. You'll remember of Legion, right? Legion means thousands. And so it's been said, well, there's at least a thousand demons in them. And some Roman legions had many thousands, 7,000, 9,000. It just depends on who you ask. But, you know, thousands of demons in this guy. And just one word from one man, go. And they all ran into a, 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 a herd of pigs. And these pigs killed themselves. I wonder what they were trying to get Legion to do. Right? Right? Oh, read, read, read the Bible, right? The Bible says that Legion was, we cut himself. He would, he would live in the graveyard. Sleep in the graveyard. I was complaining about sleeping in a tent this week, and this dude's out in, the, in nothing. Out of his mind. He's crazy. Cutting himself with rocks. Because the torment of these demons trying to drive him crazy, trying to drive him to take his own life. I mean, we, we get to, we, we pick on Legion maybe some, or at least at some times, you know, some people have said, well, even the pigs wouldn't put up with these demons. No, I think maybe they just accomplished their job. They were demons of suicide. They were demons trying to push this man to the edge. And so strong was his will to not do it. When he recognized Jesus, when he saw him afar off with whatever little clothes he had on running from the graveyard, he came to him. And the stories had been uh, published broad and wide. This is the man that howled at the moon, yelled at the, mid, at the midnight hour and cut himself. And, and, and he cast himself before Jesus. In, in an attempt for help. And you know, just one word from Jesus, just one word, it was sufficient. That's how much power is in that doorway. That's how wide and great this door of salvation is. Only the word go, and they were gone. And then he, the next time everyone saw him, he was clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right, Jesus can put you in your right mind. He can change the way you think. Just one moment with the king, it's sufficient. It's a door that's wide enough. It was just one Jesus, just one Jesus that was enough to walk on the water. Just one Jesus that was enough to call Peter forth and to pull him back up out of the water. Just one Jesus was enough to call Lazarus back from the dead. Just one Jesus unstopped the ears and opened blinded eyes. Just one Jesus healed that woman with the issue of blood. Just one Jesus in just one moment. He is all sufficient for what you need. Your blood, the sins are covered. In his blood. No matter what the issue, no matter how, how great the backup, no, no matter how many burdens are being carried. I love that scripture. I referenced it all way, already from, from Isaiah. Woe to those who pull sin as if it were with a cart rope, you know. Now, scripture says cart rope, but of course cart rope would indicate there's a cart on the other end. And just like a just like in a coal mine, right? You got a cart and you load it up and you pull the rope. You unload it, right? You know, we, we carry around an awful lot of stuff sometimes. 
sins and issues and worries and chaos and craziness. And we feel like we can't let go of all this stuff. But I'm telling you, Jesus can take it all because he nailed it all to an old rugged cross. He paid the penalty for the sins. He paid the penalty for all the issues, all the worries, all the chaos. He's wide enough. It's, it's sufficient. He's big enough, tall enough, wide enough, deep enough. Come in and out through him and find pasture. It's a funny verse if you think about it. I'm the door, right? He that enters by me, he shall go in and out and find pasture. And we might think of that as going in and out through the door. In and out through the door. But, but I don't think it's Jesus' plan for you to go in and out of, uh, and in and out and in and out and say, I'm, I'm in with you and then I'm out with you and I, I, I'll serve you at this moment and I won't serve you. I'll be with you and then I won't be with you. No, I think he's trying to say go in and then go out because that's how great his pastures are. He's not just a narrow hallway. You go in and then you go out uh, uh, unto his bounty. You'll go in and out uh, unto his blessings. You go in and out unto his mercies uh, and there's just rolling wonderful hills uh, of mercy and understanding and forgiveness and miracles and signs and wonders because he is a door wide enough. But it says narrow, narrow is the way, straight is the gate. Well, that's true. It does because you must understand he's the only way. See, if you want that pasture and that mercy, you want to go in and out and find all that he has. You can only enter in by him. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But by me. But folks, the veil's been torn and, and, and we don't even have to line up single file. All those ships out in the sea waiting because of labor shortages. I don't know how many cranes they got in operation to pull those containers. I don't know, but single file, two at a time, four at a time. There's no line. We're not going on to the ark two at a time here. You need to hasten and rush the throne of God's good grace, amen, because he's wide enough to take us all. He's wide enough to take us all. All at the same time, we can bow our, our heads and we can bow our knees and we can uh, uh, take our minds to a different place. He doesn't have to deal with just you. And, and I'm too busy right now, Jerry. I got to deal with this proud part. No. No, he's ready for you, Jerry. He's ready for you, Vince. He's ready for you, Madison. He's ready for you, Harold. He's ready for all of us at any time, at any place, at any moment. He's wide enough for you to enter in and to go out unto his pasture, to go out unto his presence, to go out unto his miracles. He's all sufficient. A door wide enough. A door wide enough. Would you stand? We're going to have a song to close today. And have a season of reflection. I would ask you to pray to pray today for for friends and for family 
that find themselves on the wrong side of the door. You know, I invited a guy to church years ago. And he said, Dan, if I came to church, the walls would fall down. You know, trying to indicate that he's been such a creep in life that, you know, the presence of God couldn't, couldn't take him. He just didn't know the door's wide enough. This is not the most holy place. This is just a building. That Shekinah and that mercy seat and that presence of God, the dwelling, you know, it comes here now. It comes in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. He abides with you. If you just say, that's what I want, Lord, that's what I want. Pray for those who find themselves near the door, but unwilling to go into the door. Maybe somehow God could use you to tell them, there's room at the cross for you. The door is wide enough for you. His mercy is sufficient for you. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Would you pray right now for the lost? Oh, I'm hurting and broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born with the precious blood Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born the precious blood of Jesus 
Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Thank you for being here today. And I trust that some songs been sung or something's been said that it can be a blessing to you this week as you go to friends and family and your place of employment. Lord, I pray special blessing on these people. They could take your word. They could encourage someone else. They could share a witness, share a testimony, share something what God has done for them let it change somebody's life and bring them oh God bring them to your cross in Jesus name we pray amen God bless you all you're dismissed in the name of the Lord